do I dare say it, but T minus 22 hours from right now, a phenomenon will take place. There will be individuals who are most likely crying. There will other, be other individuals who are most likely rejoicing. What am I speaking of? The start of school. And the beginning of continued accumulation of knowledge. What I want to ask you is this. What if I could come to you today and say, I have an opportunity for you to be all-knowing of everything that there ever is, was, or will be? You can come to me, you can learn what this is, you can go to school tomorrow, and guess what? You can instruct your teachers. It's interesting because for us personally, we are in this sort of juxtaposition of education for our children. Our firstborn, Parker, will start his senior year in high school, and our little guy, Noah, will start preschool. And so as we think about this, we look at them accumulating knowledge and growing. And what if, what if we could go to them and say, just accumulate all knowledge that is there and you will not have to go to school. You can instruct your teachers. In fact, you can have a job and you can know it all. The question is, is, is that a good thing? It's interesting because I think personally we have this desire and this quest to be all-knowing. We want to know as much as we can. However, what I would ask is simply this, is that a good thing? Interestingly enough, Henry R. Luce, the founder and editor of Time Magazine, says this, the difficulty in keeping well-informed today is not that news is scarce, but there is so much more news each day than the average man can assimilate. That's interesting, isn't it? We live in a world where knowledge is at our fingertips. We can access it readily. We have it easily available. The modern day encyclopedia is no longer. It has been replaced by the internet. Google has become our encyclopedia. And I want to ask a simple question. Do we need to know all of this? Another individual, John Nesbitt, a social researcher and the author of Megatrends, says this, we are drowning in information, but starved for knowledge. I want to ask you a question this morning. Is it a good thing for us to desire to accumulate an omniscient mind like that of God? And so I'm going to ask this question of us. Do we really need to know everything? And actually, is knowing everything even healthy? I find it interesting because right now we are in an age where knowledge is readily at our fingertips. We know of things transpiring around the world, essentially the moment that they happen. But what I also want to say is this, we are living in a world of high anxiety, high frustration, low focus, and low productivity. It has been psychologically proven that the massive information that we are receiving is actually causing us to drown in an overload of information. And so the question is this, 
as we desire to be all knowledgeable, where does that come from? But then also, should we be all knowledgeable? And if so, is that really healthy for us? So in that, I'm also going to say this, that we all have a desire to have limitless knowledge at our fingertips. And please hear me on this. I am not saying that we shouldn't learn. I'm not saying that we shouldn't continue to have an education. I'm not saying that we shouldn't work hard. I'm not saying that we shouldn't study hard. Kids, please don't go back to your parents and say, hey, Pastor Trevor said that I don't have to go to school because it's not about knowing things. But on the flip side, it's this. How are we doing with all of the information that is coming at us like a fire hydrant every single day? What's that doing to us psychologically? What's that doing to us individually and corporately as a body? Are we healthy? Should we know all of these things? Is this actually a good thing for us? We do have a desire to have limitless knowledge at our fingertips. And interestingly enough, I just want to show you via what Jen Wilkins says in her book discussing the omniescence of God about how much information is essentially placed out for us to feed on in the matter of one minute. This is what she says. 30 years after the Internet's inception, it is estimated that 39% of the world's population or 2.7 billion people uses it. Now, this uh, book was printed in 2016, so my guess is, is that that number has increased since its publication. This is fascinating. It says, and the amount of data we generate is staggering every minute. So if you have a moment, just take a look at your watch, and in one minute, this is what's going on every single hour of the day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Every minute, email users send 204 million messages. How many of you are Pinterest fans? Pinterest users pin 3,472 images. Google receives over 4 million search queries, and Facebook users share 2.5 million pieces of content. And that's just those things. We are drowning in a mass of information in this unhealthy quest to become all knowledgeable. And so while we have a desire for limitless knowledge at our fingertips, what I'm going to tell you is simply this. As humans, we cannot, nor should we have limitless knowledge at our fingertips. I'm not saying shut down the internet. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be utilizing these things. But I am encouraging us to think deeply about what's going on in our culture and in our society today. First and foremost, I'm going to go back to the beginning, and I'm going to re-emphasize the statement that I've made biblically, and that's simply this. As humans, we cannot, nor should we have, limitless knowledge at our fingertips. Yet there's this unhealthy desire to be all-knowing, isn't it? There's this unhealthy passion to be knowing of what's going on in the world. 
And so I invite you, if you would like, to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, and see where this unhealthy desire comes from. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. I want to take a moment. I just want to pause there. God had set things up for Adam and Eve perfectly, wonderfully, and provisionally. He had said, this is yours. And God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Take anyone, go, do what you want. This garden is yours. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So here's the garden. Here is all that you have. Here is all that I want to give to you. You are able to work it. You are able to be provided from it. You are able to live a life of fullness in it. But one thing I ask is, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what do we do? Like a kid with a cookie jar, we eat from that tree. Because what do we suspect? Well, obviously the certain comes forward and says, oh, you know, sure. God didn't really say that, did he? Or better yet, he's holding back on you. See, he, he doesn't want you to be like him. He knows something that you don't. And if you eat from this tree, then you can be like God. We don't want to be like that, do we? Do we? Interestingly enough, we see that obviously what God says is that when you eat from the tree of knowledge, you will surely die. And therein lies what we call biblically the curse, where Adam and Eve are removed from the garden and they are now enshrouded in sin. Lovingly, we see the story of the gospel, which is essentially the redemption of mankind through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, through the provision of God giving his one and only son on the cross so that we might have life. But we recognize that this holy provisional garden, this area that God gave, this opportunity for them to be whole with God, but just, hey, don't eat from one tree. What do they do? Now I want to ask you this. How many of you have that insatiable desire when you wake up just immediately to go to your phone and get on whatever it might be? Facebook, the news, whatever you see. How many of you could actually take your phone and remove it for a month and be okay? Not knowing what's going on. I see a few hands going up, right? We have this desire to know everything. But what I'm going to tell you, biblically, is the statement that I've just made. We cannot, nor should we, have infinite knowledge. We are not designed to do so. One of the things that I think is important is this. Jen Wilkin continues and says this. Uh, there is a difference between healthy learning and information gluttony. 
And again, I would agree with this. I am all for learning and growing. I am all for learning who we are, our relationship to God, learning who God is, understanding what we've been created to be, understanding things so that we might move forward in this world and have a job, a career, whatever it might be. But I also think that we have moved into information gluttony. And I go back to what was stated earlier about the information that's going on in the internet. There's a difference between healthy learning and information gluttony. One is about being fully human and the other is about craving limitlessness. Our insatiable desire for information is a clear sign that we covet the divine omniscience. We want all the facts, but as finite beings, we are not designed to have them. And so, not surprisingly, unmeasured consumption of information brings us not to increased peace of mind, as we had hoped, but increased dissonance. Psychologists have coined the term to describe what happens when we ignore good boundaries for what we find or what we feed our brains. Information overload. Students, business owners, I'm going to tell you this. Right now what we're discovering is actually that the productivity of the human workforce is going down because we are distracted by an overwhelming aspect of information that's being thrown at us constantly. And so our brains are not able to assimilate everything. And what happens to us psychologically is we become confused. We become less able to focus on the task at hand. We become increased in anxiety we become less healthy and it begins to deteriorate our physical and mental health. And the reason for that is, is we have not been designed to have the amount of information that's being thrown at us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's not who we are. And so where do we go with this? Well, I want to take a minute and I want to show you this. We haven't been designed to be omniscient but we do worship a God who is. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, is to recognize that we have a God who is all-knowing. He knows all because he has created all. He knows all because he's created all, and he has existed from, essentially, time to time. He is a transcendent God. And in that, it is God's job to be all-knowing. It is not ours. We have this desire to be like God. We have this desire to become God. And what I'm telling you is, is that in that insatiable desire, we are dying. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to turn to Job 37, 16. And I just want to read this for a minute. Now, before I do, I want to talk to you a little bit about the story of Job. We recognize that Job is a man who loves the Lord. He cares about who God is. And essentially, behind the scenes, Satan comes to God and says, the only reason that Job worships you is because you're good to him. And God says, okay, here's the deal. 
I will allow you to do what you want to Job, but you can't do certain things. And so, the story continues, Job's life essentially goes down the tubes quickly. And what we see is that Job's life becomes so bad that individuals who know Job are actually going to him and saying, you must have done something wrong to make God as mad as he is at you. And the whole time, Satan's thinking, well, what's going to happen is, is finally Job's going to say, you know what, there is no God, there is nothing, and I recognize that the only reason that I believed in him was because my life was good. But what actually happens is Job continues to persevere. And through the process, we see the sovereignty of God behind the scenes, demonstrating that he controls all, he knows all, and he is all. And in one of these brief moments, in the 37th chapter, we discover that God is the one who is working all things behind the scenes, and this is what we come to find. We're going to sort of lay the context. I'm going to be just real quick in verse 15. You don't have to put it up. I'm going to um, move down to 16 that we're focusing on. And the questions are being asked, essentially, of... Do you know all of these things? Can you be like God? And what is stated is, do you know how God controls the clouds and makes his lightning flash? And then to the text that we're going to focus on for a moment this morning, do you know how the clouds hang poised? Those wonders of him who is perfect in knowledge. We have this desire to fig figure everything out. We have this desire to know how everything works. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But when we have information overload, when it is thrown at us to the point that we have become unhealthy, when we begin to think that we are God and God is not, when we begin to think that because of how smart we are, we can replace God... We are in danger. And world, I want to tell you simply this. We are one of the most, if not the most, informationally rich cultures of our day. And all I'm going to throw out to you is this. How's that going for us? The smarter we have become, the more dissonant we have become to our Lord. My question is this, when will we recognize that we're not meant to know all things? Only God is. And we see in this passage right here that God is the one who has put all things into motion. He is the one who sustains all things. He is the one who gives us life and breath. He is the one who has created us. He is the one who has given us eternal life. He is the one of whom we worship. Because, stated here, clearly, he is the one who is perfect in knowledge. And with that, what I want to tell you is this. God knows all things. God knows who you are. God knows your heart. He knows your desires. He knows your joys. He knows your struggles. He knows your hurts and he knows your pains. He knows them before they happen because he is a transcendent God who exists eternally. And so one of the things that I want to show you in this is this, that in our human frailty, we worship a God who is perfect in knowledge. We must recognize that we are frail, but yet we have a God and worship one who is perfect in knowledge. Jen Wilkins says this, 
God is not merely knowledgeable. He is omniscient, limitless in knowing. Why? He knows all things, not because he's learned them, but because he is their origin. Don't miss this. God isn't up there studying right now to pass an exam. God isn't increasing in his knowledge. He is all knowledgeable because what? And this goes back to being the infinite creator. He is their origin. He knows it because he's created it. That's why indeed he is an omniscient God. And so friends, that should number one, encourage us to worship a God who knows all things. But number two, it should humble us to recognize that we as humans have our limitations. I love what A.W. Tozer says in trying to describe essentially the all-knowledgeable God. And as we wander through this, it demonstrates just how expansive the God in whom we worship is. He says essentially this, God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters. All mind and every mind. All spirit and all spirits. All being and every being. All creaturehood and all creatures. Every plurality and all pluralities. All law and every law. All relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and in earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven, and hell. Because God knows all things perfectly, he knows no thing better than any other thing. But all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised, never amazed. Let that sink in for a minute. Because God is all-knowing, nothing surprises him. Nothing catches him off guard. Nothing throws him for a loop. Nothing is outside of his control. Friends, what we see is that God is working his perfect plan of redemption of mankind through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is so important for us to see because oftentimes what we begin to wonder is, is Jesus God's like plan B? Did things go wrong and God kind of said, oh my gosh, things are out of control. I better rein things in. Let me throw a Hail Mary pass. It's the fourth quarter and we're losing and we're behind by two points. I better get Jesus in there. You're going to go in. You're going to sacrifice yourself on the cross. I hope it's going to work, and we're going to try to win the game. 
And so Jesus comes down and goes and gets in the game, throws the football, and God is up there like we are in the stands with this concerned look. Is he going to catch it or is he going to drop it? Is this going to work or is it not? And then obviously, as we see biblically, yay, he does, and woohoo, we go. But we wonder, was God nervous? Was God concerned? Was God worried? Was God looking at it saying, if this doesn't work, I don't know what else I'm going to do? And that's not true. The gospel, what we have in Scripture, is God's perfect plan from the beginning to the end. And he never, ever wavers or will waver from it. Because God is all-knowing and God knows all. And so why should that be important for us? Well, this is why. How many of you are holding on to things right now? Trying to do this, trying to kind of steer God in a certain direction, trying to woo him your way, trying to hope that this happens, trying to maybe pray a little bit more. Now, I'm not saying that prayer is bad, but we often try to do things to either gain knowledge or to manipulate God. And what I want to encourage you with is simply this. Because in our human frailty, we do worship a God who is perfect in knowledge, the next part of this I want to encourage you in is this. His omniscience, His all-knowing, should cause us to let go and let God. I'm not saying not being worried. I'm not saying not being concerned at times. But how often do I see followers of Christ professing that they believe a sovereign God, but acting entirely different than worshiping one who is? Profession and action are two entirely different things. And friends, when the church begins to line its profession with its action, that is when God will speak. That is when the church becomes powerful. That is when people take notice. That is when they recognize that we truly do worship a God who is sovereign. We should let go and let God. If you would turn with me in your Bibles, I just want to read out of the first couple of verses of Psalm 139. Uh, Psalm 139 is a great psalm, essentially by David. Uh, I would encourage you to read all parts of it. There are aspects in this that discuss essentially several different attributes about who God is. But the first area that we're going to focus on are the first six verses that essentially demonstrate again that God is all-knowledgeable. David writes, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Please recognize in the writing here, the word know isn't no quasi. It's not, I kind of know you, I'm acquainted with you. I know, I know some of you, right? You know me. But do you know me? And what I mean by that is holy, fully, 100% who I am. So don't flippantly read over this, oh God, you have searched me and you know me, like we're buds, like we kind of hang out, but you don't know this aspect of who I am. You don't know my secret sins. 
You don't know my fears. You don't know what I'm trying to hide from you. No, oh God, you have searched me. And I love the fact that God is the one who is pursuing. God is the one who is moving in each and every one of us. God is searching us. God is relating to us. God is moving into a deep, intimate relationship with us if we will allow him to do so. He's not going to stop. He's not going to quit. The question is, is will you reciprocate? You have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. That's a really exciting and wholly terrifying statement, isn't it? Because I'll tell you right now, I have wonderful thoughts and there are times when I have not so holy ones. And God knows them all. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. You're familiar with all my ways. So you know when I'm real. You know when I'm fake. You know when I'm truthful. You know when I'm lying. You know when I'm genuine. You know when I'm disgenuine. You know all of my ways. See how important it is to recognize that we worship a God who is all-knowing? It's not just knowledge. It's not just that we worship a God who is essentially the smartest person being to ever live. But it transcends to us in knowing how God knows us deeply, personally, and intimately. He continues on and it says this, Before a word was on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. God knows what we're going to say. God knows how we're going to say it. God knows when we're going to say it. And God knows our heart behind either saying it or not saying it. You hem me in, behind and before, and you have laid your hand upon me. These are wonderful things. And then, what does David say? What we all should say. I want to be like you, God. I want to know exactly what you know. I'm going to have this quest for limitless knowledge. I want to be God. No, he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. I'm going to let go. And I'm going to let God. Because I am not God. And you are. So what does this mean for us? Well, when we let go and let God, number one, I want to encourage you, and these are some things that I think are going to be somewhat convicting, somewhat challenging, but I would like to encourage you all in this. Number one, you cannot outsmart God. How many of you try to outsmart God? Thank you for being honest. We kind of try to look around and we're like, well, you know, 
um, maybe if I do it this way, and if I can, th- you know, I, I think I can get it, and, and, and if I can just do this, or maybe if I change that, or whatever, I think I might actually have this figure it out. It's okay, God, just, just get out of the way. I've got you. I don't need you right now. Has that ever happened for anybody? Never. Okay, great, I'm done. Right? Okay? You can't outsmart God. So quit trying to do it. My question to you is this. How much time do you spend trying to outsmart God versus humbly getting to know Him? That's really convicting. And I'll admit, there are times when I too try to outsmart God. And I think it would be very concerning sometimes for me to look. And if God were to put up on a graph, okay, how much time did you try to outsmart me versus how much time did you just try to get to know me? I don't know that I'd want to see that graph. The next thing is this. this. You can't bargain with God. We don't try to bargain with God, do we? Mm, Okay, God, if you get me out of this, if you do this for me, if you don't have this happen, if you give me this job, if you let me marry this person, if you give me this promotion, if you do this, then I will what? Come to church, read my Bible more, pray more, be more holy, do these things, etc., etc., etc. God, I'll tell you what, if you just do this now, then I will what? Insert. We don't do that ever, do we? Newsflash, people. God knows your hearts because he knows all. So he knows if you're sitting there not doing what it is that you're going to say. So stop trying to bargain with him. Not God, hey, if you do this, then I will. No, you do because God has. I don't come to church to get from God. I come to church because I've been given Holy by God. That is who we are in Christ. And the last one is, is you can't fool God. I will be 100% honest with you. I hope and I pray that I do not have divine retribution with my kids for who I was when I was back in high school because I got away with a lot. This innocent-looking, cute face, (laughs) a little older now, got away with a lot. I'll tell you one quick story about how I was able to fool my parents. My brother and I, we lived in a house, and it was essentially kind of an elongated ranch, but... Down on one side, there was a three-car garage, and above the three-car garage was our room, and we had a balcony that essentially went out, and we lived on a golf course. My parents' bedroom was on the other side of the house. Interestingly enough, we had essentially a driveway that went up to the portico of the home and back into the garage, and we could have parked our truck anywhere. But where did we park it? 
right under the deck. Why? Really easy to get out and go launch bottle rockets at Daihatsu's on the golf course in the middle of the night. Better yet, one day my parents became concerned and they were worried if there was a fire that we would not have a way to escape. And so in their love, their mercy, and their grace, they decided to give us a fire ladder that we could connect to the rails of the deck and use to get out. I love fires, is all I'm gonna say. Now, my parents have come to know that. I got away with a lot, but here's what I'm going to tell you. As humorous as that is, we can't fool God. And here's what I want to show you about this, not in a mean way, but we all try to look our best. We all try to present ourselves before God, thinking that if we do, we're going to be more approvable to Him. And when we look good and we don't show Him our ugly side, we don't show Him our sinful side, that God is going to love us more. And here's what I want to show you. God knows all of our ugly side. God sees all of our ugly sides. And you know why I love him? Because he said, that's okay. I'm going to give you my son, my plan A, because I'm all-knowing, to die on a cross so that in your ugly side, you can become beautiful. You can be washed white as snow through the blood of the lamb. My son is going to take your ugliness, your dark side, and he's going to lay it upon himself so that you, in your ugliness, can become holy, beautiful. And that's what we worship when we see Christ on the cross. That's what we worship when we see Christ enduring the cross so that we might have eternal life. That's where we rejoice when we hear Jesus say, it is finished. Jesus isn't saying it is finished like it's finished, I'm going to die. He's saying the work I have come to do for you is finished. Holy and completely so that you, when you try to outsmart me, when you try to bargain with me, and when you try to fool me, can be wholly mine. And so in that, that drives my heart to want to know God more, not to try to outknow God. Please hear me on that. It tries and drives my heart to want to know God more, not to out-know God. Friends, one of the things I think is so important for us is to recognize that knowledge is a good thing. I'm not against it. Learning is a good thing. Kids, as you start school, go. You have an awesome opportunity to get a great education and learn wonderful things. You have great teachers, great resources, amazing universities at the hands of your fingertips to be whatever it is that you want to become and praise God for it. However, what I will tell you is this. Be careful in this information age where we are just drinking from a hot fire hydrant thinking that we need to know all. We're not meant to do so. 
Jen Wilkin essentially says this, when, when we allow ourselves to recognize our frailty, when we allow ourselves to essentially let go and let God, this is how we arrive. This is who we are when we walk with our Savior Christ. Essentially it's this, whatever tomorrow holds, I don't, I don't know what tomorrow, I think I know what tomorrow holds, I think I have an idea that my alarm's gonna go off and I'm gonna be like, oh my gosh, here we go. And the kids are gonna be scrambling, Kelly's gonna be scrambling, I'm gonna be scrambling, and everybody's gonna get out the door, and hopefully, prayerfully, everybody's gonna get to school at the right time, and it's all gonna go well. I think that's what tomorrow holds, but I don't know. We can be certain that its contents will raise many questions as they will answer. I'm sure that tomorrow is going to bring about as many questions as I get answers to. But we also can trust God to manage the future without our help. God's got it. God's had it. God's got it. God will get it. It's none of our business. It's none of our business. Let God do what God's going to do. We know through his word, what God is working. So let him do it. And if it happens in a way that we question, if it happens in a manner that we don't know, if it happens in a manner that's uncomfortable for us, if it happens in a manner that we don't like, if it happens in a manner that we don't think is right, lovingly, as we see in Job, are you the one who has put the stars in the sky? Are you the one that maintains the world? Are you the one that gives earth and breath to life to people whom are here? No. So let go and let God. Our comfort lies in not holding all knowledge, but trusting in the one who does. That's where I find my comfort. I don't know. I shouldn't know. But I trust in the one who does. Friends, if uh, you don't remember anything else, I just want to leave you with this take-home truth, and that is simply this, is knowing that God is omniscient should cause us to let go and let God in a world of information overload. And church, let go and let God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We just thank you for you. We thank you for these brief snippets of who you are. Father, as we continue to discover your attributes, we discover to recognize that you are all knowledgeable. Lord, that should be convicting. It should be challenging. But it also should be encouraging to us to let us know that indeed you have all things. You know all things. And with that, may that bring peace and rest to our hearts. May that help us to stop essentially trying to outsmart you, to bargain with you, to fool you. And rather, may we just try to know you. And Father, thank you that in that, in all of our games, and all of the things that we play, and all of the ways that we try to be God ourselves, that you continue to love us, you continue to provide for us, you continue to give us mercy and grace, which is new each and every morning through our Lord and Savior Jesus. And Father, that's why we love you. Lord, as we go about this week, I do pray for school, I pray for our teachers, 
kids that are going to be educated. And I pray that it's a wonderful time. I pray that they do grow in their knowledge. But also, Lord, I do pray that we would recognize that we're not meant to be all-knowing. We're not supposed to, and it's not healthy for us. And that in that, Lord, we would realize our frailty. We would let go and let God. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus, and we ask it by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, Amen.